Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Welcome to Graceland Church. Such a joy to worship with you. I want to say happy Father's Day again to all the dads out there, and I just feel like I'd really be failing as both a dad and a pastor if I didn't use this opportunity to share my top 12 dad memes. So if you would direct your attention to, here's my number 12, your dad when he sees a light left on in an unoccupied room. I'm never going to financially recover from this. Stop booing, Nessa. When your tween gives you the silent treatment, oh no, not silence. I love that one. Dads, after they mow their lawn, it's beautiful. I've looked at this for five hours now. I totally do that. Gas prices drop by one cent. Dads, that one's not me. I don't even notice. Children, oh, there's a sleeping dad. Let's go ask it questions. 100%. 33% of your job as a dad is staring at your kids like this until they act right. I'm taking a cue from Samuel L. Jackson. My wife and I listening to our kid tell Santa that he's been good all year long. What? I'm going to take your phone away because I am dad. We all use that one. Oh, Father's Day. Remember, you could be doing a lot worse. Just look at this family <laughs> dropping their precious, the one in the green shirt right there, poor kid. I'm sorry for this, but I had to include this one. Thanks for holding me up all these years, Dad. How many dads out there have had the trifecta? Pee, poop, and throw up. Come on. We're all together in this. I'm out of that stage now. This is my number 11, uh, or my number two, when mothers are alone with their babies versus when fathers are alone with their babies. And here's my number one. When your dad tells a dad joke, but you need $20, they laugh at you like that. Especially my older kids, I can, I can sniff it out from a mile away. Why are you being so nice and kind right now, my sweet daughter? Happy Father's Day. You know, my prayer for you dads and for all of us as a church is that we would have hearts after God. And I want to share uh, this opening principle. There's no more important thing in your life, dad, and in your life, anyone in here than developing a heart after God. Look at Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. So it's a powerful thing to remember, uh, dads. We, we, we need lots of help with parenting. We, we read books. We seek counsel. But the best thing we can do is develop a heart after God because all of our parenting will flow from that. And we're going to look today a little bit at the life of David, who was described by God as having a heart after God. He started as a shepherd. He was the youngest son. He had a bunch of older brothers. He was a total underdog. Uh, there was a prophet that came to his father's house to anoint the next king of Israel, and he looked at all the sons uh, before he got to David, and it got to the point that the prophet said, are there any more sons? And his dad said, you couldn't be talking about David out in the field, but he was, in fact, talking about the underdog, David. And Jesus actually came from the lineage of David, and in many ways, was a foreshadow and type pointing to Jesus, the life of David was. He became a hero. He became a leader. He did all kinds of exploits in the name of the Lord. He wrote most of the Psalms, including Psalm 23, which is one of the most beloved Psalms of all time. He was also one of the most flawed characters in the Bible. He had an affair, he lied, he committed murder, he wrestled with anger and depression. So how is it that he's described as having a heart after God? What was it about David's heart that attracted 
the blessing of God. And I want to credit a teacher named Chuck Swindoll. Uh, I heard him talk about these qualities that attract God's blessing. And I believe they're all incredible depictions of a heart after God. Look what God said about David in Acts 13, 22. He testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. So we're going to look at four qualities of the heart that God is attracted to. And then we're going to close with how to develop this heart. Number one is humility. We talked about this a little bit at our men's brotherhood fire pit on Thursday. Some of you were here for that. My dad always taught me that the key to the kingdom is humility. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He's attracted to humility. He favors the humble. And scripture actually says right here that he opposes the proud. And on Thursday night with the men, we likened it to a basketball game. If we're trying to get our best at basketball and think about it metaphorically as life, and we're trying to, to, to score, we're trying to take the ball to the net, but if we're filled with pride in those things, God is literally stuffing our shots. He's opposing us. And that's a horrible thought. So I want to develop humility so that he shows favor to me on the basketball course of life because humility attracts his blessing. And there's a misconception we have about humility oftentimes, and that is we think it's being down on yourself. Have you guys ever had that sense? Humility means you just think you're terrible. And that's actually not the biblical definition. Let me share a couple of things to help us understand humility. Charles Spurgeon said, the best definition I've ever heard was to think rightly of ourselves. So humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. And in that sense, there's a two-sided coin, humility on one side, truth on the other side. And this can be a reminder for you whenever you see a coin. I know we don't use coins that much anymore today, but, but if truth is one side, humility is the other side of the same coin. Meaning, if you want to grow in humility, fill your mind with more truth. Because the more truth enters our heart and mind, the more humble we become. For instance, we were created by God and everything we have is a gift from him. Therefore, we can grow in humility because we more understand the truth that everything we have comes from this source of life that we have nothing to do with. So what can we boast about? And then likewise, if you want to grow in humility, fill your heart and mind with truth. I'm sorry, if you want to grow in truth, come to the Lord humbly, and he will teach you. Say, I'm coming to you to learn. Give me a teachable spirit, Lord, and you will be filled with truth. Two sides of the exact same coin. And there's a story that Jesus told to show how big of a deal this is, how critical humility is. There was a, a self-righteous Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day when Jesus walked the earth. And then there was a sinful tax collector, Tax collectors were the outcasts. They betrayed their own people. They were the worst. And Jesus, I'm actually, I'm just gonna have you turn to it real quick. Go to Luke 18, if you have your actual Bible, or go there on your phone real quick. You could go to biblegateway.com. Luke 18, nine through 14. I don't have this one on screen. This was an addition, but it is just an incredible story when it comes to Luke 18, nine through 14. Just the first line, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Just pause there. Let's not be so quick to disassociate ourselves from the Pharisees. Um, I know human nature in myself, 
and I know it in others. And sometimes we can start by saying everything is the Lord. He is the only one that's righteous, and we've accepted this great salvation. But then sometimes we can walk with him for a while. We can get more and more frustrated with the world around us, and we can start being those people that think we are quite self-righteous and look down on everybody else around us. And that's for whom he shared this parable. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He called the guy out who was right next to him. I fast twice a week and give a 10th of all I get. La-di-da. Then in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And look what Jesus said. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So he said the Pharisee, though he thinks he's self-righteous, is not even justified before God. He looks the part, but he's not justified before God. The man who cried out for mercy from God was justified. Being here in church doesn't mean you're justified before God. I'm glad you're here. Make it a discipline to be here. But there could be a dude stumbling out of a bar right now on Broadway crying out to God for mercy who's going away justified, right? And, and, and we could not be if we're relying more on our own self-righteousness. Are you guys tracking with me? It's all about this great Savior who is the same Savior for all of us. This Pharisee made the, the classic mistake. He even called people out, these evildoers, these adulterers, these robbers that I am nothing like. But the sinner, which all of us are, recognizes, though you may have never actually committed adultery, there's been adultery in your heart. Though may you may have never actually murdered someone, there's been hatred in your heart. There's been self-consumed life in your heart. There's been pride in your heart. As you grow in touch with that, you become like the tax collector who falls on their face and cries out for mercy from God. Scripture even says that our best days are still like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. So whatever you think your righteousness is doesn't measure up. That includes me. That includes the Pope. <laughs> I don't mean to step on anyone's toes that are Catholic, but we have one savior and one perfect life. Now, don't get me wrong, because we're gonna talk here for the rest of the message about growing into the likeness of Christ. It's not an excuse for sin at all. We, we grow into his likeness. But as soon as that starts to become self-righteousness, which a surefire sign that is becoming self-righteousness is if you're looking down on others. So, so, you know, we're in pride month right now. I say we, we're not in it, but our culture is in pride month right now. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's God's standard. I have a ton of friends and people that I love that celebrate it. And I, uh, some of them might even be watching online. They know I love them. They know I don't think it's God's um, pattern for our life. It's not his blueprint that leads to the, the flourishing of our life. But we got to be careful as we stand for truth as Christians, that doesn't mean stand up and look down on other people. No amens? I got one, sorry. It doesn't mean we stand up and look down on other people. If we do, it should be a warning that we might be becoming self-righteous, right? It's when we lose touch with our sin and need for God that we scoff and look down on others. You know what the heart of Jesus looks at when, 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 they look at when he looks at the sinners all throughout the world? He weeps in brokenness for them. So that's as we stand for truth, which we do, and we don't move on that, but we weep for those that are broken for the Lord and need a savior. Tracking with me? And then look at Jesus' closing line here. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So David modeled a heart after God because he was humble. And one of the ways he demonstrated that, even in the midst of his sin, was he would repent. Another thing my dad often taught me was that maturity is measured by how quickly you repent. Not necessarily that you just stop messing up, but you can track your growth by repenting quicker. So one thing that David did that a lot of Christians don't do or a lot of people don't do is in the midst of their sin and brokenness and shame and desperation, he kept pursuing God in humility and eventually repented. You see the difference? You can just stay in the sin spot, but David, and he models this over and over again in the Psalms, he brings his life back to the Lord and repents. And I gotta add one thing again in your Bible. Go to Psalm 55. This was really on my heart this morning, and so I'm just gonna add it in. Psalm 55, I'm not gonna read the whole thing. It won't be on screen. I'd love you to turn there on your phone or in your Bible real quick. But there are three progressive prayers in this Psalm. David was struggling with uh, really betrayal in his kingdom. You can, you can study the context and read the whole Psalm. But the point being, he felt like God was distant and he was in anguish, he says in the Psalm. And verse one says, listen to my prayer, God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. So right there, look at me for a second. David is modeling through this prayer that he feels like God is far away. That's where his prayer starts. And, and David models humility by not just staying there. I wanna encourage you. If you feel like God is distant, you don't understand what all these crazy church people are doing. Why do people passionately sing? Why would people ever do this? If you just feel like God is distant and you're in anguish, don't stop there with your prayer. Keep praying through. Keep seeking him in humility. And then David gets to this point in verse 16. But I call to God and the Lord saves me. So now he's adding the promises of God to his prayer. I don't just feel like God is distant anymore. I'm now calling to mind his promises. I call to him, he's the one who saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears me. In verse one, he was saying, please hear me, don't ignore me. Now he's saying, I know he hears me. And then he continues, by the time he gets to verse 22, he's now declaring it to the world again. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And he ends by saying what we just sang about in that new song. But as for me, I trust in you. So a heart of humility, a heart after God will keep you coming back until you pray through to the point of repentance, right? So you will still make mistakes. You will still fall. You will wake up some days and just be like, curse the world. I don't even want to do this. And you have all kinds of crazy things in your mind. The point is, don't beat yourself up for that. Come to the Lord in humility and keep praying through, pressing into his presence until you get to repentance. Are you tracking with me? So a heart after God is a humble heart. And my first question to you today is, how is your humility? How is your teachability before God right now? Are you posturing yourself on your knees before the Lord to learn? And it leads to number two, servanthood. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when his disciples were arguing about who's the greatest, he said, the greatest will be your servant. And David modeled a heart after God because he was willing to serve even in obscurity. When David was a shepherd, he was completely overlooked by his dad. Remember, his dad didn't even bring him to the meeting to get anointed as the possible next king. Totally overlooked. 
by his father, which some of you guys have father wounds like that, that make days like Father's Day hard. But in that context, David still chose to serve. He's out there doing the lowest of the lowest jobs as a shepherd, and he served God and his family and his sheep through doing the job well. And we get fooled in this world into thinking that life is about doing big, great things that seem big and great, but really the biggest and greatest thing is to serve, specifically in obscurity. And God is attracted to servanthood. So if you want to know, dads, how to lead your family better, serve them more. If you want to know wives, if you want to know siblings, sons, and daughters, if you want to know grandparents, how to grow in your relationships towards Christ-likeness, serve better from the heart posture of serving. So how is your heart to serve today? And that leads to number three, faithfulness. This really piggybacks on servanthood. It's kind of about changing the scorecard of life. You see, David was just being faithful with what was given to him. He wasn't the oldest. He wasn't getting all the attention. He had to just be faithful with taking care of the sheep. And he protected them. He risked his life for them. He overcame a lion and a bear to protect the sheep. And potentially, no one even saw that happen. He was just being faithful. And this is so critical for us with hearts after God. Success in God's playbook is faithfulness. It's obedience. It's nothing more than that. It's nothing less than that. You will have 10,000 other voices in your life trying to tell you what success is. The word of God says success is faithfulness to what he has given you. In the parable of the talents that Jesus told us in Matthew 25, when when the the servants are coming back to receive their reward, what, what the master would say is, well done, good and faithful servant. And they were called faithful because they were faithful with what he put in their hand. How many of you guys remember the board game called Life? You guys remember that, the game of life? And really this is true of any board game, but life is a good one to talk about because it's, it's metaphorical of life itself. And you have to ask yourself the question when going into a game, what does it look like to be successful in this game? What, what, what does a win look like here? And if we miss that while playing the game of life, we will play the game the wrong way and we will lose. And in the actual game of life, because our culture and the way of the world is so strong, we get all kinds of ideas pumped into our head all day long from teachers, from parents, from authorities, from government, you name it, about what success actually is. But the word of God gives us a different picture. And you know, our accountability will only be before one on whether our life was successful or not. And that is our Lord Jesus the judgment seed of Christ. So our salvation is a gift, but we're still accountable before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. And it should put a reverential awe, a reverential fear in us to lean into his definition of success, which is faithfulness to him. Not faithfulness to what your parents want or what your boss wants or, or even what you want for yourself, or you have no one to impress, nothing to prove to anyone, period. And we need to rewrite the script on what success looks like and its faithfulness. Um, one, one man of God that I've learned so much from, who's one of our pastoral overseers here at Graceland Church, Rod Loy, 12 or 13 years ago, I went to him seeking counsel about how to wear the many hats that pastors wear, just trying to learn how to do 
this job and the calling on my life well? Because pastors have to wear, of course, the pastoral hat, caring for people, um, being with people in the hospital, doing counseling with people, uh, leading people to Christ, praying. We also have to be uh, like business owners. Uh, we have to function a little bit like CEOs of companies because we have to deal with the budget and the board and the projections and land and assets. We also have to be bosses because we end up usually with employees. And so we have to learn how to manage well. We also have to lead and have vision and all these different hats. And you don't really learn about all that at a Bible college. You also have to be really good at picking out dad memes on Father's Day. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that in Bible college, but I, I feel like I'm really good at that now because it's part of my job. <laughs> I was asking this guy, Rod Loy, how in the world do you do all of that? What should my day look like? Um, how do I structure a week, a month, a year? And one of the things he taught me that has really stuck with me is it's hard to really fully control that as far as your schedule goes. A lot of times you're responding to other people's lives, but he said, learn to be faithful in the moment. So whatever moment you're in, be faithful to that. And I think for Father's Day, it's worth saying one of the ways to be faithful in the moment as a father is when we need to give our kids undivided attention because our kids can tell when we're not giving them that. Uh, years ago, Nessa, who's sitting right here on the front row, she's been anticipating this story all service because I told her I was going to share it. She was probably five when this happened. I was putting her to bed. At this point in her life, uh, she really wanted me to stay there. And she said, Dad, I really want you to watch me while I fall asleep. So I'm like, all right, kind of a diva, but no, I'm just kidding. I love you, sweetie. <laughs> watch me, Dad. I'm going to close my eyes. You don't close your eyes. Just watch me until I'm asleep. And I'm like, all right, sweetheart. And I also, like, down by the little corner of the bed, had my phone where she, like, couldn't see it. You know what I mean? And so she's now going to sleep. And literally eyes closed, I think falling asleep. And I'm watching her for a while, but then I'm like, all right, Twitter, here's what's happening, um, Instagram. And she would open her eyes to check on me. She'd be like, dad, here, here, watch, watch my eyes. I'm going to check on you, she said. And, and so I had to put the phone away. It really struck me because I wasn't giving her the attention that she wanted in that moment. They don't necessarily need it when they're sleeping, but our kids can tell when they don't have our undivided attention. And I would submit to you that if we're not giving our kids on a regular basis some measure of totally undivided attention, we're not being faithful in those moments, right? I think that matters before the Lord, faithfulness. And then it leads to the fourth point, all of these together, the combination of humility, servanthood, and faithfulness leads to readiness. David had a heart after God because he was ready to step up to the plate when needed. Again, we talked about how he served in obscurity, he defeated the bear, the lion, and then it went very public, very quick when this giant named Goliath mocked the people of God. And, and no soldier in the entire Israeli armor, army would stand up to Goliath. And so this little shepherd boy had become ready in his heart. And he stepped up, this is not right, I'll fight Goliath. Talk about being ready. Sometimes we worry about trying to ready ourselves in the eyes of our boss because we want to get promoted or we want to ready ourselves in the eyes of whoever it is we need to impress or whoever we want their respect. But God is really clear in scripture. You should only worry about being ready at a heart level before the Lord. He is the one who will exalt you to where you need to be exalted at whatever time you need to be exalted. And that's a weird word to use, but he's your promoter is my point. Right? If you start living to, to make everyone else think you're ready, you go down the wrong path. It, it can be likes on social media. It, you, you might measure your life in dollars. 
if you measure your life in how many dollars you make, you've completely left the idea of faithfulness to Jesus and entered the idea of what success in the world looks like. And it does not matter in the kingdom. It's not to say it's bad to generate wealth, generate it, but it can't be your barometer. That's as silly as an 11-year-old or a 14-year-old girl saying, oh my goodness, I got 50 likes on my picture, now I have value. If you saw a kid saying that, you'd be like, don't buy into that trap. Well, that's what you're doing (laughs) in all the various adult versions, right? And so we need to come back to these simple elements of what it is to have a heart after God. And so how is your readiness? Are you actually ready to step up to the plate uh, when God taps you on the shoulder for something? And I wanna end with, the best news, which is how we get this hard after God. And this is the gospel, because look at me real close here. Sometimes when you hear a message like that, you can, be, you can be thinking the whole time, like me sometimes, that my heart seems to be the exact opposite of all these things. Instead of humility, there's pride. Instead of servanthood, there's selfishness. Instead of faithfulness, there's dishonesty or cheating, or there's cutting corners. Or instead of readiness, there's fear. And if you feel like that, first of all, I wanna say, join the club. That's the first step in humility, admitting our sinfulness and brokenness. You guys tracking with me? Everyone, every human has a heart full of selfishness apart from the Lord, all of us. We all have hearts of unfaithfulness before the Lord until he steps in with his gospel. We all have hearts of pride. We all have hearts of fear and timidity. So join the club. That's a good thing to admit. That is called humility. Okay, God, I have all this in my heart that shouldn't be here. I don't want this to be what everything in my life flows from, so I need help. And here's his answer, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's speaking prophetically in the Old Testament of what would come through Jesus. And then we see in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So so hear me clear on this. Jesus is the son of God whose heart is perfectly humble, perfect in servanthood, perfect in faithfulness and perfect in readiness. And in the gospel, when we receive him by faith, his heart becomes your heart. That should get a huge amen. The gospel says that his heart becomes your heart. I still didn't get a good one. The gospel says, thank you, Milo and Nessa and Sarah and whoever else. It's the kids and a child will lead them. Think about this. This is such an important way to close and the team's gonna come as I mentioned this. We can't approach developing humility and servanthood and readiness and faithfulness by just trying, 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 trying. We will fail over and over again. It has to start with accepting Jesus, accepting his heart. And the gospel is so clear. Scripture is so clear. When we put faith in him, we are now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, we are not fully living that out yet. That process is called sanctification, growing into the clothes that we don't actually fit yet, but we are wearing them. You know, um, today, tomorrow is Juneteenth, and I wanna mention that we celebrate that as a nation, but I also wanna use it as an illustration. It was back in June 19th, 1865, uh, Lincoln had already declared freedom for the black slaves in our nation, but it had taken years 
to get the word all the way down to some of the places in Texas. And it was on tomorrow in 1865 that a quarter million black slaves, and I love this language, were declared free by executive decree. Declared free by executive decree. So of course we celebrate with our black brothers and sisters. I want though to highlight even more that what the gospel says from the executive of executives, you know, a much higher authority than the president of the United States of America, the king of all kings, past, present, and future, the Lord of all lords, the one who spoke into creation all things by his executive decree, the gospel says your heart is free. Thank you. You might not feel it. You might not be fully living into it yet. So the response today is to say, one, yes, I accept the gospel of Jesus. I accept this forgiveness of sin. Take, take my old heart of stone. Give me the heart of Christ, the heart of flesh. But then also teach me to live it. You with me? Teach me to grow in humility. We don't grow in the context of condemnation. We grow in the context of grace. We've received it, but we must grow into it. My dad used to put on me his big sports coat when I was five, six, seven years old, and it looked ridiculous, but I was wearing his coat. I was wearing my dad's coat. I had to grow into it. When I became a full-grown man, I could wear my dad's coat. I could function it normally. That's how it is with the righteousness of Jesus. Do not stay like a little kid wearing the coat that you don't fit. Grow in faithfulness. Grow in servanthood. Not only is it what Jesus calls you to and will you be accountable before him, but it is the way that your life will work. It is the way that you will have the life that your heart longs for and dreams of. It might not be all the circumstances, but it will be peace, joy, Love, patience, kindness, all these fruit of the Spirit. So let's pray. Lord, help us with this. I pray for myself and for everyone here that we would just again say yes. If anyone is not a follower of Jesus yet, just say yes in your heart right now, my friend. The Lord is speaking to you, calling you by name, loves you, created you. You are not an accident. You were created by design, by the creator. And you fall into sin like we all do, but he has a plan and a purpose for you. And he calls you out of a life of sin, out of a life of shame and guilt. And he puts, puts his very righteousness on you as you call on his name. It's that simple. It is by faith we are saved through grace. And then for those of us that, that probably many of us fit this category, that maybe we've stalled out a time or two in our growth, in, in, in living into the heart of Jesus that's been placed in us. And if that's you guys, just pray with me. Lord, I humble myself before you. Once again, I, I don't wanna become like a Pharisee who looks down on others. I, I wanna stay down low before you where you can teach me and mold me. I, I wanna have the humility that, that attracts your blessing, God. Forgive me for pride. Lord, teach me servanthood. Forgive me for selfishness. It's so easy to just live a life of me, myself, and I, and how can I take care of myself? And it never goes well. It never really leads to what we think it's gonna lead to. So Lord, we, we humble ourselves and we say, God, give us the heart of a servant, the very heart of Jesus, a heart that is after you, Lord. And God, may, may you rewire our brains about what success is in this life. May we just have one goal, and that's to be faithful to Jesus. That's it. 
faithful to Jesus. There is only one that our lives are held in account to, faithful to Jesus. God, forgive us for clinging to so many other things. We want to be faithful to you. And God, teach us to be ready. God, we are in a moment uh, where there's lots of crazy stuff happening in our culture and world and nation. And, And men and women of God need to be ready to step up to the plate and speak the truth in love and be present in this world, not hide and run, but be present in this world, declaring the love and the hope and the truth of Jesus. So we say yes to it, Lord. Let's sing this new song again about declaring our trust and just take a few minutes to pray. So don't don't start leaving yet. Let's just press into his presence and um, make an altar where you are. Feel free to come to the altars up here. If you'd like prayer, some of our prayer team will be around, but let's just take a few minutes and say, God, give us hearts. Give us hearts after you. I'm gonna pray this benediction over us. And then uh, Nessa is going to dismiss us. <laughs> May the God of peace who raised Christ from the dead strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God, Almighty Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you and dwell with you this day and evermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We can all be dismissed. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Love you guys. Have a great afternoon. <laughs>